tonight is the quarterfinals, as Craig says. It's just one team this time. We are the team. Third to last class. Note number seven of book number five. We got note number eight, then note number nine. That's it. We're approaching the end of the Tanya. I think it's just a, it's it's too it's sometimes it's too big to think about. You know, it's just like we've done this for three years, and I'm very very proud of uh, of this circle. And each of us should be proud of for ourselves and for our commitment and for the fact that we are going to be concluding this fundamental Hasidic work. Bezrat Hashem. December third, we have the celebration. Please make yourselves available. We want to honor each of you at the event. So if you're able to sign up, <coughs> chabadeso.com forward slash 19 Kislev, because it's going to be connected with... Uh, send out? I'll send another reminder out. I'll send a link out, okay? Okay. And then the plan is to restart the Tanya. The men have expressed they want to go again. I have some ideas for how to bring a freshness to it. So... <laughs> Even if you remember everything <laughs> from the last round. <laughs> so it's a, it's, it's a great time to encourage the growth of the circle. You know men, I would appreciate Torah study and good food. And a little bit of Jewish mysticism. Pass on the word. Be an ambassador. It's not just one person or two people. Bring, bring more people to the class. Bring more people to the family. You'll be doing... You'll be doing them a favor, but also yourself a favor. You become more involved. You become more connected. In the early 1800s, there was a city in Poland where there lived a man named Yosela. And Yosela was known as Yosela the Ganev, Yosela the thief, because there wasn't a home in the city that wasn't broken into at some point or another by this Yosela. He was an unfortunate fellow, nothing that he did in business seemed to work out, so he made his living by, uh, by stealing from homes. And one day he decided that he's got he's to go bigger you know, than just town <laughs> homes. This is uh, you know, small, small cash, it's peanuts, he's got to go for something bigger. So he decided that uh, it's time to break into the local church. The local church was a big building, and it was rumored that there's a lot of, a lot of money in the treasuries, and in the rooms behind and the back. So, big projects you don't do alone. So he called together some of his uh, Ghanav friends, and he said, look guys, tonight, this is a big opportunity. Let's, let's get in this together, okay? I'm the expert. I'll climb in. I got no problem. I'll be the one to go inside and collect the money. You guys wait for me at the front entrance and open the doors. Be there when I come out. And then we'll collect everything, we'll run, and we'll divide the spoils. They said, sure, they're all in. They come to the church, and um, everything looks fine. Coast is clear. Yasala jumps, climbs up to the top window, little window, hops inside, starts collecting all of his stuff. While he's in there, the watchman woke up from his nap, realized what's happening, and came to the front of the church, where all the other Ghanams were hanging out, and they sold Yasala out. They just ran away and left him alone. He comes, you know, victoriously to the front of the church, opens up the doors from the inside, and there's the local police waiting to arrest him. So um, they take him in, and, you know, violating the church property was such a great offense that 
they couldn't let this go. So they decided to give him the death penalty. He was going to be executed. <coughs> and right before his turn for execution, the local priest came over to him and said, I'm willing to strike you a deal. You renounce your Jewish faith, and I'll let you go free. He thought for a second, he said, no way. So the priest looks at him and says, yes, you've got to be joking. Everybody knows you're the town thief. Everybody knows you don't care about Jewish law. Just, just do me this favor. Renounce your faith. I'll let you go. <coughs> and a fire lit up in his eyes, and he said, Yosele may have done many sins, but Yosele is a Jew. And as they took him out to the guillotine, he gave him one more chance, and he said, convert, and you have it. And his last words were, he said, Yosele might have been a Ganev, but Yosele is a Jew. And he was killed, uh, Al-Kiddush Hashem. And when they buried him, on his tombstone they wrote, here is buried Yosele the Holy Ganav. Ganav HaKadosh. My cousin is married to uh, a young man whose name is Gavriel Shway. I was just speaking with him today. And he tells me that he, uh, when he was a single guy, like many of the yeshiva bachers, he used to go out on Fridays to uh, Miftzayim, you know, visit offices, visit Jews, and put on tefillin with them and whatnot. There was a particular guy that he used to visit each week who was completely out of touch with Yiddish guy. Didn't want anything to do with it. He married out. Nothing. One Friday, Gavriel comes into the office, and he says... This guy says to him, I have a story to tell you, proudly. What happened? His wife's sister got married, non-Jewish woman, got married to a non-Jewish guy. They got married in, in a church, and he was invited. And he went, and this happened literally. This is a couple years ago. <coughs> this is not uh, stories from, you know, ancient stories. And... Somehow, part of, the, part of the process, they did like some sort of prayer or some sort of worship. And the priest who was leading it said, at this point, everybody should kneel on the floor of the church. And he didn't. This guy, he wouldn't, he wouldn't bow. He was the only one. The whole crowd goes down, he's standing up. And the priest saw him and he says, what are you doing? Everybody's doing this, go, kneel. And he's in front of the whole church. He said, I'm a Jew. <laughs> and I only bow down to God. And he's telling this proudly, you know, to Gavriel. Just two examples. There's hundreds of these stories. What is the secret of that strength? Where does it come from? And how can we get some of it? The, uh, the neshama, the Jewish soul, is defined by the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya, in the beginning of the Tanya, chapter 2 of book 1. It's defined as a piece of God. Chelek elokami ma'al mamash, a literal piece of God above. And as Kabbalah explains it, what it means to be a piece of God is that the core of your identity is godliness. And mystically, we talk about Hashem having a, uh, a primary name, 
Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name that we don't even pronounce in its proper way due to its intense holiness. We just switch the pronunciation. But Yud, Hey, and Vav, and Hey is the metaphor for what makes up an identity that is wholly godly. Of course, God himself is transcendent beyond any names or any descriptions. But when we want to talk about something which is, at its core, godly, we say it's made up of four elements, a yud and a he and a vav and a he. And with the neshama, it's the same way. When we say the neshama is a piece of God, the neshama is a manifestation of, of godliness, we also talk about the neshama having these four elements, yud, he, vav, and he. And classically, the way it's explained is that the vav and the he, the final two letters, are the practical side of the Jewish soul. What it speaks and what it does. A Jewish soul connected to God speaks godly words, Torah, and does godly deeds, mitzvahs. The first he, backing up, is the spiritual dimension of the Jewish soul. The part that's connected to God, the part that feels emotionally, the part that contemplates deeply. <clears throat> but then there's the yud. And like, like a physical yud, it's just a point, you know, a small dot. So it is with the yud and the neshama. It's a small point in the soul that is the truth of the entire soul. In this note that we're studying tonight, note number seven, the Alter Rebbe calls it the Eitan. Eitan in Ashkenazi Hebrew, but Eitan, like the name Eitan. It's the Eitan of your soul. The word Eitan has three English translations. Eitan means ancient, old. It means tough, hard, and strong. That's the core of your soul. It's the part of your soul that in an irrational way never, ever wants to be disconnected from God. It's not a part of your soul that's doing anything, thinking anything, speaking anything. It's just a state of complete connection to Hashem. The Alter Rebbe himself used to have a famous line where he would say, Ayid niter vil niter ken zayn which means a Jew is not able nor willing to ever be separated from God. There's a part of ourselves, the Eitan of our soul. It's old, it's ancient, because it's within us for generations, since the first Jew. It's tough, because when it comes to that, we see Jews getting stubborn, and it's very strong and very resilient in the face of any opposition. It's the source of, actually, misirut nefesh, the fact that the Jews have the capacity to give up their lives for being Jewish. It comes from that core of our soul. It comes from the Eitan of our soul. In mystical terms, we call it the chokhmah, the wisdom of the soul. Because like wisdom is the core of a concept, you know, people think that knowledge, they equate knowledge with wisdom. You can know a ton, but you're not wise. And you may not know a lot, but if you have experience, you're very wise, you know. Wisdom is, is essentially reaching beyond the layers and getting to the essence of what something is. And so it's called the chokhmah of the soul because... It's the part of the soul that isn't complicated. It isn't sophisticated. It's deep, it's raw, and it's directly connected to Hashem. In, in, in the Zohar, um, Chochmah, 
this, this core, this essence, is described as nikuda behechala, a dot or a point in a chamber. You know, the English word point. Like, we say, we use it for a point, but then we also use the word point to describe, like, the goal, right? The whole point of it is X, Y, and Z. And in the same in Hebrew, point like, describes a point, but it also describes a broader point, the point of something. And so with this description of the point in the chamber, the Zohar means to tell us, as, as Hasidic commentaries and discourses explain, is that the essence of your soul is just a point but it enhances the entirety of the chamber. In other words, everything, every facet, every element of your Judaism is enhanced, driven, charged by this point. And in turn, the chamber, the totality of your Judaism, enhances the point. Because a person cannot really suffice with just that point of connection. You have to express it. You have to live Jewishly. You have to manifest it. You have to build a chamber around that point. But nevertheless, it remains the core. It remains, it remains the bottom line. Every Jew possesses it. Every Jew has an Eitan in his soul. The strongest, toughest, oldest part of him or her. But not every Jew feels it. Not every Jew feels it. Feels it or is conscious? Okay. Conscious of it. Consciously feels it, let's call it. This is the Pintalayid. <coughs> yes, when you hear the conversation about a Pintalayid, the core of a Jew that comes out, you know, Yasala the Ghana, what, what about him was Jewish? Nothing. But when it came down, when push came to shove, he said, I may be a Ghana, but I'm a Jew. He got to feel it. But even he, even he got to feel it only in a moment of, of challenge. We're talking about in the day-to-day. -day. We don't typically get to uh, be exposed to it. Some of us, you know what? I want to say don't even get to meet it ever. Hmm. We know we have it, but we don't experience it. We don't interact with it. For, you know, maybe, maybe in a good way. Nothing's ever been challenged. We grew up, you know, traditional, good upbringing. Nothing ever got in the way. We sail through life. And you never meet that core part of yourself. Dr. Rebbe says in the note that the full exposure of the Eitan in the soul is going to be when Mashiach comes. It's fascinating. If you know Hebrew grammar, you'll really appreciate this. In, in, uh, in Hebrew, prefixes, like the, the letters in the beginning of a word, can change the meaning of a verb. So you have like, a, there's always a root. Every Hebrew word has a root, which is like either the object or the verb in the word, and by putting an aleph, the word etan spells aleph, yud, taf, and nun. By putting an aleph, a yud, a taf, or a nun in front of a word, it converts the verb to the future tense. Yeah, so if you have like uh, yelech, okay, that's the root word for going. So if you put an aleph in front of it, eilech, it means I will go. Or a yud, yelech, he will go. Or a taf, telech, you will go. Or nun is nelech, we will go. It converts it to the future. So the Alter Rebbe says the grammatical meaning has also a mystical meaning. The fact that the word Eitan is made up of only letters that are futuristic means that in truth, the ultimate experience of the Eitan in our souls is reserved for the future. That's when we're going to fully be 
uh, conscious of it and fully, fully live it. It's going to spill over into every part of ourselves. Because Hashem's infinite light and Hashem's oneness is going to be revealed for all to see. That's Mashiach, you know, every time Mashiach is described in, in the scripture, you always have that juxtaposition to God being revealed. Vinigla'kvod Hashem. Mashiach is described as the day when Hashem's honor will be revealed. Or one of the verses the Alter Rebbe brings in this note is, describes Mashiach. Hinei yaskil avdi. My servant is going to experience a tremendous intellectual inspiration. And the Alter Rebbe translates that as, when Mashiach comes, we're all going to be super inspired with that awareness that comes from deep within, the level to which we are connected so deeply to Hashem. When that happens, when that happens, it's described as Nachal Eitan. Eitan is that core of the soul. In the Torah, we have a number of verses that have the expression of Nachal Eitan, which literally means a stream or a river of Eitan. For example, one of the, the, the first places I believe in the Torah where the word Nachal Eitan is described is in the portion of Egla Arufa. It's a very obscure mitzvah where if a dead body is discovered, laying on the ground, nobody knows who killed him, the nearest city has to assume responsibility for it, and they would bring a calf, and they would chop off its neck. It's a whole detailed procedure. And one of the conditions is that the, the, the ceremony has to take place in a nachal eitan, in an area that, uh, that has either, it's different interpretations, either it means a stream that flows very strongly, or an area that has very hard ground, and there are other verses that have this terminology, nachal eitan. Mystically, nachal, like a stream which flows from top to bottom, means there's a flow of the eitan. Nachal eitan means something is happening which is drawing forth this immense, deep Jewish-God connection. And now it can be experienced. So when Mashiach comes, like we're going to have the nachal eitan, the flow of this eitan part of ourselves, constantly. But nowadays, it's not so simple. There's multiple reasons. One of the reasons he gives in this note is because um, a human being is not capable of wanting two things that are opposite at the same time. So long as your body and your animal soul is predisposed to desiring physical mundane things, you can't have an equally strong desire to chase godliness. You just can't. There can be a battle, but at any given moment, the desire is either here or there. And so, so long as you have these disturbances that are covering over, the eitan, the deepest part of the soul, can never be fully experienced. There's no way. When Mashiach comes, we're taught that Hashem is going to cut away all of those outer disturbances. So we're going to be able to have it. But at least, at least now, you know, it's not, it's not that accessible. Again, people get it when they're pushed up against the wall. And some of us may have even stories about that when it was directly challenged, you know, the core of our soul and it came forth, it lit up and, 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 and the fire came out. But typically it's not. We go around and, and uh, we're not aware. The Alter Rebbe makes the case, though, that there is a method to create a mini-Mashiach experience. You can come to know your Eitan, your Eitan, not mine. Everyone can come to know his or her individual Eitan and, uh, and feel it a little bit. 
the wording that the Alter Rebbe uses in describing how to go about it is a bit esoteric. I, I want to just deliver it the way I, I, I understood it. And I think I mentioned this concept a couple of weeks ago about how sometimes trying to get something is the biggest obstacle to getting it. There are some things that are just too big for us to grasp. And the only way to grasp them is by not trying. By just opening ourselves up to a new flow of energy that's totally beyond ourselves. And I think I gave the example the other time about if you're stuck on something, you know, sometimes you have a, a question or something bothering you. And the more you think about it, the more you sink into the quicksand of the question. But then when you just like sleep on it, put yourself into a vacuum, the innermost self can reveal an answer, an insight. And it comes when you weren't trying, when you simply made yourself a vessel for infinity to flow through you. And, and I think if I understand Dr. Rebbe's intention correctly here, he says, if you want to experience, even for a brief moment, a little bit of the part of your soul that literally drives you as a Jew, Trying to get it is not going to get it. The way to do it is to open yourself up to it. And the way to open yourself up to it is to actually go through a meditative process that he describes in, in very shorthand. And the meditative process is a sincere acknowledgement of the fact that you don't have it. A sincere acknowledgement of the fact that the innermost part of yourself doesn't have the ability to express itself. The terminology he uses is like, um, is to feel compassion for it. To walk yourself through, in your mind's eye, the fact that your soul is animating your, your body, it's animating your life. Some parts of your soul you, you, you use constantly. Some parts of your soul you only use on occasion. And then there's a part of your soul, literally a part of your makeup, that's never allowed to express itself. And he says, it's a pity. When you think about it, it's a pity. All it wants is to express itself, and it's being trapped in an exile in your body. It's like, it's like I'm the thing stopping it. There's a part of me that wants to just spill over and dance and completely be in ecstasy and relationship with God and me. My physical body with my physical needs and physical desires and physical lusts is in the way. What a pity. It's a real, real pity. It's kind of like how you, you can have compassion for somebody outside of yourself when you acknowledge their complete disability in some area. I mean, the most, the most easy one for us to comprehend is like a physical handicap. You see somebody who's simply unable to do certain functions. Not by his own fault, literally not by his own fault. Hashem brought it upon him, a natural occurrence. And you look at them, and you can, you can genuinely feel a pity. They want to. He wants to come forth. He wants to be a part. He wants to be involved. But he's simply unable. The mechanics don't allow for it. And you can actually move yourself to real compassion if, if you take the time. 
to go, to go through it. And the Alter Rebbe, you know, Tanya being a, more of a Kabbalistic spiritual book, he says, you can even go to the point where you implore God to have pity on that part of your soul. Not just an individual, personal experience of compassion, but instead, you kind of turn it over to Hashem. And you go, you know, Hashem, you made this situation. This is, I didn't create this. You created this. You should have pity on your, on, on your own expression. You put a soul into me. You want it to manifest. I get some parts. I get, I, I, you know, other parts I don't get to use. And this part, I never get to use. It's really sad. And the Alter Rebbe says, if you can successfully walk yourself through that process, arousing compassion within yourself, and then genuinely arousing compassion on high, God's compassion for his own part of himself will arouse it out of its dormant state. He uses the uh, flowery illustration of captivity. It will release it from being captive, from being held in a straitjacket. It's going to be allowed to shine forth. And ironically, we didn't chase it. We simply acknowledged what we're missing, and that could give you the access. But you have to be genuine, because if you're going through it just to get the access, then again, you're trying to get it. And that's going to that's gonna hold you back. Really, really being genuine. Just like the, the metaphor. You, you don't have compassion on the guy, in the, you know, the quadriplegic in the wheelchair. You don't have compassion on him because you want to get something. It's a genuine feeling of compassion that begins with compassion and ends with compassion. That's it. There's nothing else in your heart but compassion. You want to cry for them. Get yourself to the point where you literally want to cry for your soul. That part of your soul which has no redemption. In a way, it's trapped. And that will create a ripple effect whereby your compassion will arouse God's compassion, which will then arouse the soul out of its sleep. And for a brief moment, it will be released and you, and you can feel it. You can feel the most intense connection to God that lies at the core of your soul. And then the Alter Rebbe throws in, if you want God's compassion to work, if you want Hashem's Rachamim to work on your soul, every spiritual energy from above needs to be awakened from below. We, we got to you know, jumpstart the process, then Hashem responds. You show compassion to somebody else, God will show compassion to your soul. And I know we haven't had this in a long time, but the letter or the note becomes a pitch for tzedakah. In, the, in book four of the Tanya, out of all the 32 letters, many of them were Alter Rebbe's fundraising pitches. Every year he used to collect money for the community in Israel, and he would talk about the virtues of tzedakah and then make an ask. It's really unclear, actually, why this note is in Book 5. Many uh, handwritten versions of the Tanya actually have at the heading here, like, you know, letter 37. Like, they actually see it as a continuum of Book 4. Like, it's really not supposed to, it's not related to the main body of Book 5. It's not a cryptic, Kabbalistic treatise. It's, it's, a, it's a letter that has an ask for tzedakah. 
today we actually have the full letter, not only the part that's printed in the Tanya, and we know it was written in 1798, and it was not written for the Israel community. It was written for a different reason. The Alter Rebbe was beginning to establish his following, and the Hasidim were getting larger and larger, and this was written just before the month of Tishrei. And there were many guests coming to Liadi, to where the Alter Rebbe was living and celebrating with him. And uh, he was making an ask for funds to help the guest. In Yiddish, I'm not familiar with the term, but I looked it up today. He, they had a gorkich. A gorkich seems to be like a, a guest kitchen or a soup kitchen of some sort. And it was supposed to provide for all the guests. And he says, and apparently that year there was a new expense in which um, the government was, wasn't allowing people to travel from city to city easily. They got like travel visas and they cost a whole bunch of money also. And the Alter Rebbe was raising money to pay for his Hasidim's travel visas to come to him so they can you know, spend the holiday in an uplifting, inspirational place. So the Alter Rebbe says, you give tzedakah. That's how you show compassion for somebody else. And the tzedakah will create the response from on high where God will show compassion to your soul. And you'll get a glimpse into who you really are. And he finds a verse in the book of Amos which in three words sums the whole thing up. Amos says, Tzedakah is like a strong flowing river. But the Alter Rebbe puts a mystical spin on it. He says, Eitan is the core of the soul. Nachal Eitan means drawing it forth. The river that comes forth. Fully experienced is only going to be when Mashiach comes. But Tzedakah, Ki Nachal Eitan, giving Tzedakah can make an experience that resembles a flow from your soul because when you give that tzedakah out of compassion, Hashem responds in kind with compassion to you. And your own soul comes to the fore. The Alter ends off, he says, you know, taken in this context, no price should be too high. If tzedakah is an access point to the innermost part of yourself, well then, there's no limit to the checkbook. It's a, it's a blank check. The verse says, Or ba'ad or, v'chol asher la'ish yitain ba'ad nafsho. A person will give skin for skin and everything he owns for his soul. Commentaries explain, if someone's about to punch you in the face, what do you instinctively do? You block your face with your hand. Right? So you'll put up skin to save skin. Essentially, the less valuable for the more valuable. Right? You know your face is at your main functions. You're going to block that. And you'll, you'll compromise on the, on the outer skin. That's if just your skin is at stake. If your life is at stake, we give everything. Everybody knows. Guy can be struggling to make ends meet. He can't spend money on, extra money on anything. But then the medical issues come someone's life is at stake, everything else drops to the side, and he focuses all his resources on that. 
person will get anything for his, for his life. So the Alter Rebbe says, if you're in tune, the same way you would give everything for your physical life, you should certainly give everything for your spiritual life. You had a chance. You know, if you know you had a chance for your soul to be on fire for a moment, to feel the innermost part of your soul, you should be ready to give everything. Because the spiritual is that much more important than the physical. Physical is temporal. Physical is here today, gone tomorrow. Physical is... As I said last week, you know, the story of the two worlds. The gun only scares somebody who has two gods in one world. If you have two worlds and one god, you're living in a different space. I actually read this week um, in the Hayom Yom. You know, the Rebbe has a book of aphorisms for every day, short little statements. And this week there was a story where uh, the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe of Chabad, attended a rabbinic conference in, in 1843 in Peterburg. A lot of the Jewish future was at stake. It was a big rabbinic conference. And he never shied away from stating his views you know, publicly and definitively. And he was arrested 22 times in the course of that conference. And at one point, there was some interrogating minister who knew this was a Rebbe, you know, this, knew this was a religious person. He, he himself was educated. He said, doesn't the Jewish doctrine teach that miridab malchut, rebelling against the monarchy or the government, is a capital offense? You cannot commit treason. You're going against the government here. You're, by, by abiding by your own Torah, you should, you should be obeying us. And the Tzemach Tzedek said, one who rebels against the government is liable to the death penalty on his body. One who rebels against the government of God is liable to the death penalty on his soul. And the soul comes before the body. It's a matter of perspective. We're so quick to give everything away to preserve the physical life. How quick are we to give away things to preserve the spiritual life? We have to become more in tune with the Eitan in our soul. We have to let it flow forth. And we have to be ready to give what it takes to make it happen. I find it fascinating that this is the last remark of the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya on Tzedakah. The next two letters are on different topics. This is the final, this is the closing point that the Alter Rebbe makes on Tzedakah. Not all the great things that will bring you, not all the wonderful blessings. The final thought that the Alter Rebbe has is that if you give tzedakah, you will get a window into your inner Jew. You know something fascinating? The word Tanya, the Hebrew word Tanya, mix around the letters, you get Eitan. Mix around the word Tanya, you get Eitan. Because the Tanya is also an access point to your inner soul. In fact, that Samach Tzedek writes, the Alter Rebbe's grandson writes, that when the Alter Rebbe sat in prison, during his famous imprisonment in the Soviet prison, which the holiday of Yutes Kislev celebrates his redemption, when he was in prison, the Alter Rebbe achieved on high that whoever would study the Tanya would merit a window into his Eitan. It's a little easier than giving tzedakah, huh? It doesn't hurt the wallet so much, okay? Learn the Tanya. We're here. 
We're studying this stuff. We're learning these concepts. By learning the Tanya, we also get a window into our, into our inner souls. It says, uh, the, the language is, anyone who learns Tanya will arouse the Eitan in his neshama and strengthen him in avodas Hashem. Strengthen him in serving God. That's what we do here. We're here on a journey. A journey that's actually almost finishing. A three-year journey. And that's what we're after. Why do we come week after week? You know, what, 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 are we, what are we doing? We're doing it because we know that it's an access point to our soul. I know there's good food and everything. That's, that's an added bonus. But the fact of the matter is, studying this stuff, being in touch with it week after week, is integral to, uh, to our neshama. It allows it to shine forth a little bit each week and a little more and a little more. And a bunch of mini etans make a big etan. So when Mashiach comes, then we have it all. And it should be speedily in our days. Amen. 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 Yes, sir.